0: I'm Al Filreis and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of contemporary poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close, but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities and we hope gain for a poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound archive writing.upenn.edu slash pensound. Today I'm joined here by Zoom in the spirit of the Kelly Writers House uh, in our portable studio by Tonya Foster, poet, teacher, a New Orleans-raised Bay Area resident who holds a chair at San Francisco State University, whose books include the much-admired Swarm of Bees in High Court and who has co-edited Third Mind Creative Writing through Visual Art and whose a mathematics of chaos, thingification is forthcoming from Ugly Dublin Press in 2021. And by Bob Perlman, poet, critic, editor, whose many volumes of poems include The Future of Memory, Ten to One Selected poems, If Life, Virtual Reality, whose new newest book is Jack and Jill in Troy. Mm-hmm. Jack and Jill mm-hmm. in Troy, whose who's being influenced by Marcel Proust has always fascinated me, although I've never asked him about it, former longtime colleague of mine here at Penn and whom I miss very much seeing around the Kelly Writers House. And by Erica Hunt, poet, teacher, activist, institution builder, leader, who works at the forefront of experimental poetry and poetics, critical race theory and feminist aesthetics, whose books include Arcade, Peace Logic, Local History, Time Slips Right Before Your Eyes, and Veronica, A Suite in X Parts, and whose essays include notes for an Oppositional Poetics and whose newest publication will be very, very, very soon at the time of this recording, Jump the Clock, New and Selected Poems. Erica Hunt, congratulations on the new and selected. Am I right that it's just about out in October, I think, yeah? Yes, October. And I, who am planning to teach a month of your poetry, all your work, I'm so ready for that selected poems because it's going to be a key part of what I teach. So I'm kind of hanging fire. Yeah. Bob Perlman, a new book, fantastic, from Roof Books. You're pleased with it? Yeah, I am. I am. It's, it's so far, I, so good. It's Pearlman funny in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess. You know. Well, you're yeah. reluctant about being thought of as a comic poet? Well, it's not, it's not just funny. Yes, that's I'll true. That. And that. That's, what the, that's what the jacket blurbs say, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And Tonya Foster, you have a book coming out soon in 2021. Can you tell us really briefly about it? What, what should we expect?
1: Well, it's, it was going to be a double-sided book, but now it's a, I'm publishing them individually. So Thingification is the book coming out with, um, with Ugly Duckling Press, which I'm very excited about. It's about the transformation of being into things.
0: That is a great way of explaining it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, it's great to see you all from the four corners, a couple of Californians and a couple East Coasters at the moment. Um, today, the four of us have gathered to talk about a poem by Lorenzo Thomas. Uh, titled Souvenir of the Manasseh Ball. The best place to find the text of the poem is on page 310 of the fabulous, relatively new, collected poems of Lorenzo Thomas, edited by Alden Nielsen and Laura Vrana, published by Wesleyan in 2019. Our recording of the poem comes from Penn Sound's uh, vast, or ample at least, Lorenzo Thomas page, where recordings of readings date back to 1979, I'm glad to say. Uh, Lorenzo performed our poem on November 11th, or November 13th, rather, 1991, at a reading in Buffalo. So here now is Lorenzo Thomas performing Souvenir of the Manasseh Ball.
2: This is a poem that has yet to find its actual title either. At one time it was called Cuddled Up in Blue, but I think its true title is going to be uh, souvenir of the Manassas ball. It's kind of a ballad. In truth, Cordelia was a scorpion in blue. She called her divorce independence day. You could hear the bombs bursting in air. She marched out like a majorette and kicked her heels and cut her hair. Pantomime quiz became the rage at every party. We danced around each slight and frown, a thousand brazen pairs of us rang in the city's chandeliers. We stung her way out of society, then out of town. We found a charming cottage in a nice suburb of hell. Our tryst brought misspelled death threats to her door. A Barbie doll hung in a shoelace noose, a 10 penny nail driven between his legs but passion shields its servants from all harm, and her ex's wages kept the cottage warm. So, having stole the bride, too late I knew, a misdirected Lockenvar is it's hard to assign victimhood or know who conquered who. She tied my ties and combed my hair. I cooked for her and read her books. Sometimes I was a splendid toy, sometimes her sword, and every moment thrilled our flesh with madness
0: he begins by telling the audience there in Buffalo that it's, I think he said, kind of a ballad. So Bob, what, what do you think he meant by that? Why ballad? Well,
3: uh, I don't know how, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's um, gesturing toward uh, the rhymes, a couple of rhymes, the bursting in air and her hair, mm-hmm. uh, and then the lock and bar, uh, reference to the Walter Scott ballad.
0: So uh, you're, you were starting to talk uh, Erica Bob was starting to talk about the ballad as a form poetic form but ballad in the larger sense refers to the the story the the romantic story can you take yeah, it from yeah. there Erica
4: Sure you know it's it's interesting he he uh, references tangled up in blue uh, cuddled, cuddled cuddled up in up blue, in blue yeah. right but tangled up in blue is also a ballad it's a Bob Dylan ba- ballad uh, it's a narrative also of um, you know, a liaison with a divorced, newly divorced person, you know, Dylan mm-hmm. talks about it's ill-fated, you know, and in that respect, a ballad is a kind of narrative of romance. Doesn't end well, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and it tells, a, you know, the, the passage of, of a relationship,
0: you know, as it goes through its phases. Mm-hmm. Tanya, uh, Erica just said it doesn't end well. That, that works with this poem, Yeah.
1: I don't even know that it's it's summed up quite mm. yet, right that there's a sense of certainly the madness it ends with, which is the madness of Cordelia, but it's also about the the kind of troubling of the um of the gender roles um and who's seduced by whom the I who is clearly male and is. Um, and clearly, Mel, in that he's associated with Lachman, Lock um does the cooking and the caretaking. I cooked for her and read her books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, there's something going on that's troubled about the roles they're expected to play mm. and how they step out of them and the cost of stepping out of those roles. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask the next question of all three of you in turn, starting with Bob, Um, following from what Tonya just said, it's hard to assign victimhood. And you read that the first time and you think that's pretty straightforward. But given what Tonya just said and the ambiguity of his role, gendered and otherwise, that's a pretty complicated thing to say in the middle of this poem. Can you each take a shot at that? It's hard to assign. I love it. I love the word assign. Which almost suggests poetic interpretation. It's hard to assign victimhood. What does that have to do with the story, Bob?
3: Well, um, yeah. Who's the? um, I'm not. This might be a a um, victimless poem, uh, (laughs) even though it's surrounded by um, violence. Uh, The the middle part of the the you know they live in a nice suburb of hell. Um, Charming cottage in Nice suburb of hell there 's um, death threats there 's the extremely ugly um, Tenpenny nail uh, and the shoelace noose which combines childishness and adult viciousness
0: mm-hmm. um,
3: but the, the passion of these two um, shields its servants from all harm and the end it 's funny um, I when I a victimless poem. It also s- struck me as a coy, perhaps, but a happy ending poem. I mean, they they they're, they do very well at the end of the poem, even though it's in the past tense. But every moment thrilled our flesh with madness. I don't think that's a um, an yeah. unhappy uh, statement.
0: Yeah, Erica. Victimhood is a powerful word to use in the context here. Because the scenes are racialized, the the, the, the the um the Barbie doll, the noose, you know, you it's pretty hard to see that word victimhood and only to think about romantic liaison and leaving town and stealing a bride. It's pretty complicated. Do you want to take it to the next level?
4: Yeah, um it's interesting that you said racialized. Um I think the poem is about um interracial love, but I'm not quite sure where that happens right now. But um, just to go to what your other point, which is that um, I like this. Sometimes I was her splendid toy, sometimes her sword. And um, I think that uh, there in those two lines is the ambivalence, you know, and also the sort of ambiguity as well of who conquered who, who has more power who's using who and also it's tension, the tension of this couple with the social world around it. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, toy sword.
0: Yeah. Mm. And toy picks up on the Barbie doll subtly Mm
4: -hmm.
0: and, and brings it down. Um, Tanya, Erica just suggested a narrative here. And I think she rightly didn't want to solve it for us, or we probably have to collectively solve it if it's interracial, which it seems to be, you know, that's one reason one could imagine that they were essentially driven out of town, right? Um, Do we want, do we know, do we want to know anything further? Do we want to guess anything further about that? And am I, am I wrong to read victimhood as not just about, um, well, I don't even know what it refers to completely and utterly. So I'll leave it to you, Tonya.
1: Well, I, I'm still trying to work it out. I think um, I, I don't have a solve, a read for what the Manasseh Ball is, and that that seems very telling. I'm curious about the decision to leave Cuddle Up in Blue behind and that the true title is Souvenir of the Manasseh Ball. But there's something for me in the description of Cordelia. I can't read the name Cordelia and not think of Shakespeare's Cordelia or King Lear's Cordelia, as well as the, the kind of history of the Queen Cordelia and that term. Um, I also see in this poem references to popular culture, a pantomime quiz which I would never have known, but um, the idea that um, it becomes something, bombs bursting in air clearly references our, our, oh, what is that song? That's That's Star-Spangled Banner. Star-Spangled Banner. Banner. (laughs) that. That there's something specifically American about this liaison, about this tryst. And she's seen as a kind of, um, what do we call them? Uh, uh, a, a woman who might have a scarlet letter. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, <laughs> and they kind of passionately go out of, out of society, then out of town. I think that's a very telling moment to my mind, that they're seen as brazen. I wonder who the other brazen pairs are.
3: Ah, uh, you know, I, I have a sense there. That is um, all the reflections in the, in the chandelier crystals. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's, the, I mean, a thousand brazen pairs of us. There is, um, um, that kind of goes to the Lock and VAR poem where Lock and VAR charges in dances one dance with the bride-to-be and steals her away.
0: Yes, I think ah. Thomas is being quite brilliant yes. here in deploying the references that caused us all to look them up. Yes. Julia, we would know Loch and Bar, I dare say, you know, we've all read one Walter Scott novel. Bob Promo's probably read ten of them, but no, I have never this. I, this is the first. I looked it up online.
3: <laughs> Lock and Bar is the only Walter Scott I've ever read. <laughs> oh, you actually have read it.
1: I, oh, think I read it online. So funny that you're defensive about it. <laughs> that's, that's
3: funny,
0: you no. Know, the Walter well, that Scott, was too Scott is like, I don't have
3: to worry anymore. Romantic
0: novelist, capital R, capital N. Um, <laughs> but we looked it up. Uh, and, you know, Lorenzo is very sly in this poem. We're going to have to figure out what his tone is or why he's deploying this story, what his attitude is. But it seems to me that he's, he's really causing us to think about the references. And then he gives it a title that defies reference, Manassas Ball. We all looked up Manassas, didn't really find it. It sounds kind of like a Southern town, but it's not. Um, to me, the ball is probably the scene where this particular uh, uh, misdirected Lockenvar decided to steal the bride or, you know, triumphed over a, a woman who, like Cordelia, had refused to profess love the way it was supposed to. And, you know, they ran off. But I would love to hear any any of you or all of you to comment on the way Lorenzo deals with the references and how it teases us a little bit to come up with a a reading of ironic, ironized, and criticized romantic. I don't think it's just an ironized, criticized romantic. I think it's. A, Erica, you first. Yeah, I think if you look at these nouns, I mean, I just did
4: just walk through the nouns. There's a lot of irony it, all the way through. S- souvenir, which is the remembrance. Scorpion, Independence Day, bombs, majorette, heels, hair, pantomime quiz. Um, misspelled death threats, a suburb of hell, a Barbie doll, bride, victimhood, uh, sword, toy, sword, flesh, etc. Those nouns are all odd nouns. They're all very particular choices. Um, they're all particular choices that point to, even though this is the, you know, putatively a, a romance, mm-hmm. the nouns are a little bit ironic. (laughs) You know, they're a little bit not totally succumbing to the pure romance of it, except for the last line. And every moment thrilled our flesh with madness.
0: So that is a romantic moment, not ironic because of the exclamation point, presumably. Yeah. Uh, So this is the moment where I need to ask all of you, what is, um, what does Lorenzo Thomas make of the romantic, Lockenvar steal the bride, and have toward love outside society story. What does he make of it? How critical of it is he? And can he reclaim them as deserving of our appreciation because of what conventional society cruelly and in a racist, horrible way does to them? It sort of endears them to us because they're victims of what people think of their love. So I don't know the answer to my question, but I can't- I think you just answered it just now, what you just said. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Bob, tell us what I just said. <laughs> that they are
3: they are um, victims of uh, outside prejudice, but within their their um, bubble, uh, domestic bubble, they are rather free and happy. And, and I get a sense that he, he's, very bemused by his own even though he's Lochinvar, the 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 heroic uh stealer of, of brides he's also this this funny kind of passive you know she tied my ties and combed my hair it's almost like there he's like eight years old or something um i cooked for her and then i i read her books which is a funny kind of favor to do um, <laughs> yeah. he, somebody to, to read them. Anyway, and, and the splendid toy. Um,
0: but Bob, uh, that's, the, but that's the speaker. Right. And my question was the impossible one, which is where does the poet Lorenzo Thomas, who deployed this poem, really consciously deployed it, where does he stand in relation to that speaker? I think we're coming around to a certain appreciation for the speaker having dared to go against the basic rules of society, maybe. Are we, uh, Tonya and then Erica?
1: Well, there's, it's a souvenir. So it's after something. It suggests to me that it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's something kept from a place visited and whether it's a memory or, or a time, those things are kind of laid out for us. I think that he writes about them dancing around each slight and frown. Um, and so it's, a, it's this recollection of that time, but it seems to me that that time doesn't necessarily continue. We know that every moment thrilled our flesh with madness. Um, what I was wondering about is where was this in Lorenzo's oeuvre in relation to this? Like, is there a relationship between the poem that precedes it? And the one that follows,
0: but it, it strikes. I have me. a part of an answer. Uh, you know, when he read it at Buffalo, invited by. I'm guessing it's prior to Susan Howe and Charles. It's probably around the same time. Probably Creeley invited him, mm-hmm. um, and I'm guessing. And he said it wasn't published yet. So let's mm-hmm. just say it was written around then. That's you know relatively late.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, does that help at all? I mean, what you're looking for a. Uh, some kind of retro... The souvenir is a retrospective? hmm
1: mm-hmm. Is the it souvenir
0: is? also the poem?
1: Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. And it does, it does give a sense of an encapsulated encounter that this is not how... This is not an ongoing part of his life.
0: Yeah. When Bob Perlman suggested we created this poem talk around Bob spending a couple of days doing programming with us, and I, I think I thought of... Uh, doing a poem talk on Lorenzo Thomas, and then Bob picked this poem. And my first reaction was, oh, oh come on, you know, I'm, I'm gonna call myself out on this. Can't we do something that's more explicitly about racial politics or about you know, the social situation? I'm beginning to realize this is totally about that.
4: And that's where I'd like to jump okay, in. Okay, Erica. This, this poem is about you know, 10,000 feet. It's about two kinds of knowing, many kinds of knowing. The speaker knows something. Cordelia knows something else and doesn't quite know the same thing. The husband knows something. And there are different types of knowing going on here. And what I mean by that, in truth, Cordelia was a scorpion poison in blue. She called her divorce Independence Day. That's what Cordelia thinks. You could hear the bombs bursting in air She's so American. She marched out like a majorette and kicked her heels and cut her hair. Pantomime quiz became the rage. Nobody is using the words, but the knowing is going on. I feel like this is a very interesting poem in terms of demonstrating how there can be different kinds of knowing occupying the same space and even the same events. But people know different things about it. Right. Until the end. And every moment thrilled our flesh with madness. In the end, the body wins. But the knowing there is also another kind of of the
0: social (laughs) politics. What a great reading. That is. Tanya and Bob, you first, Tanya, we want to respond to what Erica just did.
1: I think that's a wonderful reading. I also like the idea that the knowledge becomes the souvenir and the knowledge of the knowledge becomes the souvenir from the NASA ball Mm. and that that ball is this ball of a certain kind of dance or various kinds of dance, whether it's the dancing of the two people, the dancing within society, the dancing between each other, and our dance as readers relative to them trying to, trying to figure out what's legible. Mm.
2: In truth, Cordelia was a scorpion in blue. She called her divorce Independence Day. You could hear the bombs bursting in air. She marched out like a majorette and kicked her heels and cut her hair. Pantomime quiz became the rage at every party we danced around each slight and frown. A thousand brazen peers of us rang in the city's chandeliers.
3: I'm, I'm really struck by the, I'm, I'm going to focus on the uh, Cordelia figure. Um, I, I totally agree with what Erica was saying just now about the knowledge and the, that in truth in the beginning, um, in a way it sets us up uh, it, it, as it were, pulls the rug out from our certainty of identification of these references. In truth, Cordelia was, never mind Shakespeare, she was this, this powerful, deadly scorpion in blue, and she's very active, you know, we, um, we stung her way out of society, I mean, that's the scorpion's sting. Um and she's, she's sometimes described as a, a majorette or later the Barbie doll, but she's, she seems like a very um, powerful, efficacious
0: uh, figure. So who's, powerful, who's, Partly, Bob, because she made this choice, right. seemed like a choice. She right. didn't, her impulses led her, but what also led her is what Erica's talking about, uh, it, collection you know, of it, knowledge. I just want to say
3: one thing that you're triggering for me, in the Scott poem, Lochinvar, he's the, the great active hero and comes in and whisks the, the bride away from the other bridegroom. Um, here, it seems like she's the agent. She's the one who, uh, you know, cuts her hair and uh, breaks out of this marriage she doesn't like. Um, you might say she's using him to, to assert her independence.
0: That's why he's a misdirected Lochinvar. He's got the Walter Scott story backwards.
3: Yeah, she, she swoops him up, out somehow.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's also her door. Like, it's interesting to me that it's not our door, but our Tris brought misspelled death threats to her door. And that may be the moment where, it, if this is about an interracial relationship, that that becomes most apparent. It's not necessarily that the misspelled death threats yeah, yeah, would have come true. to him, they would have gone to her.
0: And he would I have just admitted That's so but, good. I wanna uh, go further with the misspelled death threats. I've been pondering ever since Bob suggested this poem, because it's atypical of Lorenzo. Um, I've been pondering that Uh, The ballady quality of it, the very distinct rhyme at the end of the first stanza that Bob referred to, the the ballad story, narrative part of this is unusual. It's more formal, sorry for that very baggy word, but more formal than you would get in a lot of Lorenzo Thomas. And yet, it stands as such, so against the idiot, racist, hatred monger who would not even spell the death threat correctly, in other words, who would not respect the language enough to have any kind of force, the misspelled death threat stands right in the middle of the poem as the thing that the poem is so beautifully and resolutely not.
3: But, you know, it's it's such a funny tone in this poem, the way Thomas pushes back against that. Um, it's a, we found a charming cottage in a nice suburb of hell. I mean, it's so it's so pleasant and dire at the same time. found um, a charming cottage! And and then, uh, but passion shields its servants from from all harm. And her ex's wages kept the cottage warm. What a you know that's that's funny. Um, I mean, it's complicated, etc. But it's it's uh, there's some there's it's very sly humor going on.
0: There. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, starting with Erica, then Tanya, then Bob, I'm going to ask again what we think uh, Lorenzo Thomas makes, ultimately, of the tradition, of the true love that causes the stealing away of the bride. Uh, What does he think? Uh, what, What position does he want? Not the eye of the poem, but the poet. Speaker. Oh, not the speaker. Yeah, Lorenzo Thomas, who deployed the speaker.
4: Hmm.
3: What
0: does he want us to think he thinks about this tradition? Disregarding maybe the last line.
4: Uh, oh, that well, you can't do. Well, well, I think it's embered. <laughs> I, I, use, I put the word down of embered the literary embers, it's the ember of this re- of whatever the relationship is, whatever, he withholds a certain amount of judgment. It is
0: ambivalent. Who He's is he being uh, Lorenzo? Uh,
4: it, well, it's, I'm, I'm trying to separate the speaker and Lorenzo yeah, as best possible. And I would say, um, just going back to, again to that, 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 we found a charming cottage in a nice suburb of hell, our tryst brought Misspelled death threats to her to her door. A Barbie doll hung in a shoelace. There's, that's sadistic. A t- right. ten penny nail driven to it. Such that's a torrent of hate. That's not just like an oh, let me play a prank. This is like right. sexual. Absolutely. It's sadistic. It's hateful. And then it it it's on it a childish- our attention. It's like whoop. In terms of taking in that energy. And it's hard to reconcile the, you know, the re- reducing the tension from that because it does come back. It comes down from that, that, um, that um, you know, that focus, that intense energy of hatred. And then it, so having stole the bride, too late, too late I knew, again, knowledge, right? Too late I knew, right? Uh, a misdirected lock and bar it's hard to assign victimhood, ambivalence, no judgment, ambivalence. Mm. And then finally, just to say there are, nevertheless, it was an intense experience. Here are the literary
0: embers I present to you. Mm. Wow. So you are answering my question, which is to say, Lorenzo, suspending judgment enough so that we can actually figure out where we stand in relation to what these people have done in spite of hate. I really like that reading. Tanya? your thought on this at this point? I
1: like the idea of knowledge. I also like the, um, the idea that this is a poem about knowing or knowledge. And I also like the sort of commentary on the literary, what remains. I think it's fairly significant that, and read her books, right, is a line unto itself that this is a poem that recognizes itself as a poem and is in some way commentary on the function of the literary. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's to contain something of experience Mm -hmm. and carry it, something else produce a different kind of experience, but that it has something to do with how Thomas thinks about what the literary does.
0: So if Tanya, the, Poem is in part the souvenir,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the souvenir given to us. If it's a po- if it's the poem, if the souvenir is the poem, it's a, it's kind of a gift to us. It's a remnant, a piece, of the experience, mm-hmm. um, and it really is very souvenir-like. I have a question for you all. Um, for a long time, I thought this is a, a poem of the. I don't know, the resurgence of the white citizens' councils in the teens or 20s. It felt like it was that that far ago. But we do know we, we can date the poem. We can date the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is the pantomime quiz, which is a way of talking about the game charades at the time when that pantomime quiz was a TV show from 1947 to 1959. So pa- the pantomime quiz refers to a version of a party game, Charades,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that would have been renamed because of a very popular show. It was actually number one. It was a number one hit all those years. So, this is a late 40s, 50s poem. Does that make a difference? It, it certainly makes the Barbie doll terror uh, very significant. Am I barking up a, uh, a tree that doesn't have any branches? <laughs>
1: Well, it's funny. I just watched um, the sit-in documentary about the week that um, Harry Belafonte host, hosted the Tonight Show. Yeah, and that was that was much later. That was in 1968. But one of the things they noted on that show was that a month or so after he'd hosted the Tonight Show, Petula. Patula Clark had him on her show and they were singing a ballad together and she was so they were both so moved by this anti-war song that she put her hand on his arm and the sponsors of the show freaked out and said, "Well, no, we have to cut that your hand on his arm out because we want to sell cars." Chevy's I think it was in the south and so i can only imagine um that that much earlier mm. in the 1950s that those codes though were already pretty pretty staunchly in place yeah. in fact <laughs> belafonte's show was cancelled because he insisted on an interracial interracial dancers and yeah participants
0: I'd like to overread oh, yeah. the pantomime quiz stanza and get Bob's and Erica's reaction to this um, partly in response to what Tonya just said and overreading is spelling out the scene so it became the rage that's that's somewhat critical negative you know I- ironic that became the rage in some some silly fashion at parties and that of course was to follow Erica's thinking about this, that's all about having something in your mind and trying to convey it without words so that the people on your team know what you're referring to. But as distinct from the people at the party playing this silly game that's derived from television, right, the same world that Tanya was just describing, world of segregation, um, these two were dancing under the chandelier, as Bob points out doing this brazen amazing interracial dance while over on the other side the idiots who followed the latest rage this is I'm guessing in the south but maybe not are following some rage fashion and and trying to guess what each other thinks while these lovers are doing something very dramatic and actual is that an overreading and how did I do <laughs>
4: They're dancing around each slight and frown. In other words, the fact that they're even as in, as in affiliation, that they're even consorting with each other, is like uh, associating with each other, right? Makes everybody kind of go like this. I mean, that, right. look, I can remember, you know, it's not that long ago that really being in, in interracial situations would get reactions. In right. fact, still do.
0: It get- depends on where, yeah. Yeah. My overreading of the narrative, which is just for fun, it has it that these other people uh, are engaged in trying to convey to each other without words a, me- a message as part of a game, while turning and frowning at this couple dancing interracially around them at the same party. It seems oh, to but, me that but
4: American society is miscegenated, is integrated. What? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> black culture is American culture, <laughs> you know, and that's the pantomime that's the thing that nobody wants to read right. which is the The extent to which um uh black culture is american culture and yeah. and in, especially in dance and especially in song and especially in the forties and fifties I mean yeah. it, well, actually from the beginning yeah you know, but you let us go just back certainly to the well certainly that'
0: this so brilliantly i think uh, because the real americanness is un- unironic because once she got the divorce it was like bombs bursting in air and the uh, july 4th and the star spangled banner that's the american story mm-hmm. then they get in trouble because these people are bullshitting their way through some stupid tv fad, fad you know Look, uh, we could go on for a long time about this. Why don't we each take a turn with some final thoughts, something that you came today to talk about in this poem but didn't have a chance to yet, anything at all. Let's start with Tonya and then Erica, and then Bob.
1: I love how this begins in truth, um, as if there's an insistence from the reader or from the speaker, I should say. And as if there's a confession to be made, to be had. Mm. Um, and that it ends with this sense of, of the madness provoked by bodies in contact, by flesh in contact. Um, it really helps that reading that Manassas is a battle that you think he's referring to, and that it then becomes about that battle um civil war battle that continues even today yeah. um, It's interesting reading this poem with that yeah. in mind,
0: yeah thank you that's that's wonderful, Erica. your final thought
4: um only the uh, I would add to what Tanya's saying is there is uh, there is something martial in this poem about a war. Um, it starts with bombs bursting in air. It's an interesting thing. Not you know it is Star Spangled Banner, but it also shows up again in that sword. What's the battle <laughs> being waged, and what's at stake, yeah. and uh, hmm. which side is which?
0: Terrific. Thank you.
3: Bob, final thought. Uh, I'm just uh, very impressed by the uh, range of emotions in this poem, and the 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 real uh, racial violence, and the light humor, and the self-deprecation, and the um, profession of happiness all mixed in together in in a in a way that you just don't normally find. Yeah.
0: So. Thank you. My my final thought has to do with that line, well, two lines: the passion shields its servants line and the hard to assign victimhood line. Um, I'm finally getting. Thank you for this conversation because I was nowhere before we started talking with this poem. I just couldn't figure out what position Lorenzo Thomas was taking here. That line, but passion shields its servants from all harm. First of all, it's the most poetic line. In a traditional sense, high, high, high diction, beautiful abstraction, kind of a generalization, and what it says, iambic pentameter. It is iambic I pentameter. Yeah. So there it is, sitting right there, and you want to, you want to, you know, highlight it with your yellow highlighter. And what it's saying basically is that these people love each other. They're passionate for each other. They love each other, and that even the racist crap that gets thrown at them. This horrible Barbie doll with a shoelace noose. uh, Cannot get to them, cannot hurt them, or will not hurt them. Uh, They are servants of that love, but they are not servants in the sense that they can be intimidated out of that love. And then you get to, so there's bravery. I think Lorenzo Thomas is pointing out a difficult kind of bravery. It's not Walter Scott bravery. It's... uh, late 20th century bravery. And then you get to, it's hard to assign victimhood because they, w- they refuse to be victims of the racist hatred that immediately precedes the iambic pentameter line. It is hard, unironically, to assign victimhood when these people chose to do what they did. Anyway, that's, that's my final thought. We'd like to end poem talk with a minute or two of gathering paradise which is a chance for several of us, or all of us if you're quick, to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world. Tanya, you got something?
1: I do. I'm gonna cheat. I have two things. One is Neckbone, Visual Verses by Avery R. Young. In a tub full of scar tissue, so say the bleach and kitchen cleanser to the water. Ain't enough sugar in prayer to keep this Kool Aid most sweet and red. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's beautiful work, and the Disgraphist uh, by Kinesia Lubrin.
0: Mm, thank you. Can you uh, spell the uh, writer's name?
1: Uh Mm C-A-N-I-S-I-A, and um, Lubrin, L-U-B-R-I-N.
0: Great. Thank you for the suggestion. Fantastic. Bob Perlman, Gavish in Paradise, please. Well, two
3: books I've just been reading with great interest. Uh, John Retallick's uh, Bosch, and Fred Moten's All This Beauty. And what was the second one?
0: Fred Moten's All This Beauty. Great. Good suggestion. Erica Hunt, gather some paradise, please.
4: I, I've been liking Randall Horton, uh, number 289128. Um, this is a poet uh, who at one point in his life uh, was incarcerated, now has a PhD in English, studied with Pierre Joris. And uh, I think he got his uh, PhD with, uh, in Albany in English, teaches poetry. Don't trust the process. Wait and waiting and wait. Naked stand before a guard. You are now quite invisible.
0: Great suggestion. Thank you. Uh, my uh, Gathering Paradise is the paradisal poet of a new book, Bob Perlman. Huh? Uh, this, he's paradisal. This book here, Jack and Drill in Troy, is a wonderful read. He uh, took slight, slight, slight by my suggesting that he's a merely comic poet. He's not. And I want to read into the record as part of my gathering paradise, a poem called Waking Dream, in which, well, it's kind of about paradise. It's kind of about the revolution the poets might actually pull off. And it's comic at the level of the punny line, but it's deeply, deeply serious about the possible future. It's called Waking Dream. The day the Book of Judgment gets taken down and read aloud, that's the day typos will be reunited with their words. (laughs) While proper spellings will be wandering the hot streets shouting their sins. I misread it, it's it's, uh, typos will be united with their words. I love the idea that the proper spellings will be banished to the edge of town. (laughs) Yeah, that's all the nice suburbs of hell we have time for on Poem Talk today. (laughs) Poem Talk at the Writers House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writers House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Tanya Foster, Bob Perlman and Erica Hunt and to Poem Talk's director and engineer today, Zach Cardner, and to Poem Talk's editor, the same talented, amazing Zach Cardner. And a shout out to Nathan and Elizabeth Light for their very generous support of Poem Talk. In our next episode, I will be joined by Eric Sneeden, Trisha Lowe, and Gabriel Ojeda Seguet to talk about a poem by the late Kevin Killian. Is it all over my face? An amazing poem. This is Al Filris, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Poem Talk.